We're back with another episode of Hear the Spear, presented by Noel Game Day. I'm your host, Ryan Stalder, along with our other host, Ethan Vaughn. Uh, today we'll be talking about the spring game, what we saw yesterday, kind of the recruiting momentum that Taggart and his staff have gathered so far, and uh, kind of what this spring game means going forward. So without further ado, what's up, Ethan? Not a, not a whole lot. What about you? Uh, not much. I'm just kind of excited to talk about this. I saw a lot of a lot of stuff yesterday, good and bad, and uh, it'll be exciting to get it out to the to the audience. Yeah, I agree. It was definitely an interesting day yesterday. Just kind of a lot of things going on in Tallahassee. Okay, so um, I guess we'll get right into it. We could talk a little bit before we we talk about the players. Just it was kind of a overwhelming showing yesterday um, I'm sure everybody understands that by now but I do want to say like that was impressive by the fan base to get like over 60,000 people set a spring game record uh, it looked like football was fun again in Tallahassee but uh, I think everybody kind of gets that so what, what we're going to do on this podcast is focus on what what happened on the football field and what that means for the future so first of all Ethan uh, are there any players we kind of want to do a stock up, stock down segment today. So who who really raised their stock and then who kind of regressed a little bit. Um, so is there any players in particular that you saw really raised or lowered their stock yesterday? Yeah, I think there are some that kind of um, went both ways, um, I guess. I don't know. Are you a bad news first or a, or a bad news last type guy? Uh, definitely bad news first. Okay, yeah. well then I guess I'll go to my like first bad news thing would be um, James Blackman. I, I was, I've been like a Blackman stand this whole offseason, um, you know, saying that he's he's like my quarterback one, someone, you know, who I think is probably the starter heading into the year. But um, yesterday he kind of showed some of the same issues that he showed last year. And, and you know, this isn't necessarily like a death sentence or anything or, or like a, a certainty that he's not going to start um, because, you know, last year he was a true freshman. Um, getting to learn Jimbo Fisher's offense and this year he's coming in and having to learn Willie Taggart's offense so you know there's expected you know there's a learning curve that's to be expected but that being said you know last year the issues that Blackman had um, you know we saw his natural arm talent his ability to push the ball downfield to make accurate throws um, but we saw also you know a general lack of pocket presence at times uh, not being able to make decisions to trust his eyes and, and get the ball out on time, and I think we saw a lot of that again yesterday in the in the spring game. Just not really, you know, trusting what he saw and getting the ball out. He took a bunch of sacks. Um, the offensive lines weren't good, but but still, you know, there's a lot of times where it looked like you know you, you should either throw the ball to someone or get the get the ball thrown away, and, and he didn't either, and was holding the ball too long again. So I think that's just um, one player that I think didn't have the the best showing for his uh, to kind of preview his season uh, yesterday in the spring game. I agree. Um, I I think both quarterbacks were around like fifty percent completion rate, which was like re- left a lot to be desired. They were both like exactly Hawkman and Blackman were both exactly. 50%, yeah, that's so. I was that was really surprising, especially for a spring game. Honestly, there were a lot of walk-ons on the field, um, like on defense, especially. Um, I don't know why, because I I thought the corner depth was pretty solid, but I guess with injuries and then a lot of the corners, there's still there's a lot of corners coming in. Um, that still haven't enrolled yet. So, but like on the first the first drive of the game when Hawkman threw that that pass to Terry where he nearly scored, um, yeah. like he was being covered by a walk on corner. Yeah, which uh, was just super like shocking to me. Which 
is one reason where I that I do not like drafting the spring game. I think you learn a lot more from a game if you go one the the one, number one uh, ones on offense and the ones on defense the whole game, and then the on, on the reverse is the number twos on offense and number twos on defense. So that way, uh, one team has the one offense and the two defense, and the other teams vice versa. You really get to see a lot more about. I don't know the teams that way. FSU used to do it that way um, before Jimbo Fisher started drafting, and then obviously Willie Taggart started. Did Jimbo drafting. ever draft? Yeah, he drafted in 2016. When the game was in Orlando, he drafted. I'm not sure when he switched over. I know in like 2013, like when Jameis was there, yeah, it, it was, used to be ones versus ones and one and twos versus twos. Anyways, um, stock up. Since you went down, I'll go up. Uh, Kalen Laborne. Um, I think. He, I think he's right up there with Cam as far as, like, skilled talent level. I agree. I really do. Like, I don't think there's a big gap between him and Cam Akers. And I'm not just saying that because of yesterday. Um, I think Laybourne was redshirted last year. I think it had a little bit to do with academics. I'm not sure the specifics, but I've heard that um, – and I don't want to, like, out him or anything. But I've heard that there's, there's some new, like, NCAA qualifications where you can – if you wouldn't have otherwise qualified, you can take like an academic red shirt. Have you heard about this, Ethan? No, I hadn't heard anything about that. So apparently a couple players, and I just saw this, some, some people on Twitter talking about this. Um, and I'm not sure if it, just in general, players, there's a new rule that allows players to academic red shirt, which means like if they wouldn't have otherwise qualified, qualified they could uh, like have to red shirt, but then kind of get their qualification that way. And I'm not sure the specifics. But I think maybe Terry and Laybourne, because they both had academic concerns coming in, could have taken this route. So it's kind of interesting that a lot of folks like to blame Jimbo and go, well, like, how could he possibly sit these two lookout talents there? But it's it's certainly a possibility. I'm not saying that's the case, but that he didn't have a choice. So if people would go, oh, if if, Aker, if Laybourne and Cam were like so even, why did um, – why did Cam play all last year and Akers not get one snap? Well, that could be the case. Um, that's a potential reason. But, of course, they'll never disclose that. So there's no way of knowing for sure. But, yeah, so long story short, uh, I think Cam might be a little bit like more talented total. But as far as productive runners, I think those are your 1A and 1B punches this year. No, I definitely agree. I think um, like like Cam is, is certainly, to me, I think he's a little bit more physically talented. But, you know, as we've all talked about and known, he did play quarterback in high school. And I think on the flip side of that, you've got LeBourne, who may be a little bit more polished of a running back in terms of, you know, knowing how to set up blocks, knowing how to kind of tempo his run so that he that he's hitting the hole at the right time mm-hmm. and, and hitting the right hole at the right time. So I think that, you know, they are pretty close. I don't think there's a big gap there. I actually got into like a little bit of a debate about that earlier, that like earlier this month, you know, just saying that that. I don't think Acre, I don't think Acres is like, you know, light years ahead of of LeBourne in terms of what they can do. So I, I definitely agree. He had a great game yesterday with a ninety-one yard touchdown run. So I, so, I guess I, I, uh, stock down. Yeah, you take down. a stock down, and then I'll take a stock up. So, all right, cool. Uh, stock down. I would say the offensive line, um, and I understand that there were like starters out. But I think the defense had 12 sacks uh, on both sides, so 12 sacks total. And it really gave like the quarterbacks no time to throw. And I understand there were, I think, two starters out. I know Everly was out and Minshew was out. But other than that, I think everybody else was playing. So 
to, to me, we, by, with the recruiting efforts and the, I mean, it's not like these guys are young, you know, I mean, there's people who've been on campus for three years now who are second string, who have no, uh, like no reason to be on that field, honestly, like, I don't know, just like disheartening that we can't block up, we can't pass protect for four seconds, three seconds to let our quarterback take a five-step drop or really in this offense it's yeah, not no, much it, of a five-step drop, but give him time to throw a deep ball without having to flee the pocket. Yeah, no, it's weird. I've seen some talk, you know, about like Florida State not recruiting offensive line that well under Jimbo Fisher, and they didn't recruit it at like a super elite level by any means. Not, not compared to the other groups. Like, they didn't recruit it well compared to the other groups that Agreed. they recruited. But compared to the other teams they're playing that have decent offensive lines, they certainly recruited well. Exactly. I mean, you, you remember that 2016 class that, that had, like, Josh Ball and um, – Babyon Johnson, Landon Baby Dickerson, Johnson. and Juwan Williams. It was the number one offensive line class yeah, in the country. Yeah, it was widely regarded as the number one, number one offensive line class in the country. So, you know, it's just – it's kind of – it is disheartening that they can't figure out a way to – to protect the quarterback, and I re- like I said, I do realize some starters. Like you said, you know, we realize some starters are out, but still, I mean, um, Derek Kelly didn't didn't have his best game yesterday, so it's going to be interesting to see what Greg Frey is able to do, you know, with that group this year, and and I guess we'll see how much of that Gulf Coast offense and and you know how it how well, how good it is at, at kind of masking some issues that may or may not be there on the offensive line. Well, one thing I'll say with the offensive line is it's going to be. It's going to be a lot more running than you saw yesterday. I think Willie said that in the postgame presser that they didn't run as much as they uh, would have liked to. Um, but they were trying to get the quarterbacks going, I guess. But anyways, the the offensive line, while it does struggle in pass protection, the, the Gulf Coast offense is not based around like standing in the pocket and waiting for plays to develop. It's either running the ball, run, 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 play action, deep, deep ball, or the other pass. The other That's one of the main options is a deep ball. Uh, and then, which you usually he'll be able to like kind of combat the, the pressure yeah. by by play action. But the other main passing play in this offense is uh, a screen. So both of the like like the quick uh, bubble screens to the receivers and the wide splits. But um, I, so th- as far as like pass protection being a huge concern for the like success of the season, I don't think like Jimbo's offense was kind of solely based around. A quarterback standing in the pocket and throwing, or I think Taggart's offense is as far from that as possible. Yeah, I agree. It's gonna, you know, it's gonna be interesting to see, kind of like, you know, get to get used to this new offense and see, you know, it, it is an offense that's kind of devoid of of a lot of intermediate passing that we did see under Jimbo Fisher. So it's gonna be interesting to see how that kind of impacts the offensive line's responsibility and kind of that threshold that they have to get to in pass protection for the offense to be consistently successful. Okay, so I believe you had a, I think, stock up? Yeah, I mean, I was going to go with the stock up. Um, I think that there's a couple. I'll, I'll, I'll throw out two on defense, um, and they've been talked about widely. Um, you had Jaden Woodby, freshman safety. He had nine tackles. He led his team, and uh, as well as DeKalen Brooks, who had seven tackles. And so they, they, they both had good showings. Um, Jaden would be, you know, everybody knows five star coming in, but it looks like it really do. It really does truly look like he's going to be able to have an impact immediately on the defense. And then on to, you know, DeKalen Brooks, it's going to be interesting to see what DeKalen does. You know, he's obviously, uh, he's an undersized linebacker. There's no doubt about that. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, is he able to, 
Um, is, is he going to be able to to come in and play full time as a linebacker? Is he going to have to be one of those guys that, you know, kind of you, you throw him in there when you can against certain teams, certain matchups, and then maybe sometimes he comes in and plays like a nickel against running teams and and you know just to kind of see what what his role is. It's going to be interesting to see what his role is um, in this defense under Harlan Barnett. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm trying to think. If there are any other major, like, glaring stock up or stock downs. Do I, I got one more? more stock down. Okay. Okay, go ahead. Um, Keith Gavin. Oh, that's a that's a very good one. I was thinking about that earlier, but I did not. Um, yeah, two, re- two receptions for 33 yards yesterday. Um, I, I, he, his ball skills just, you know, they, they just haven't been proven yet. It, he hasn't it, proven anything in his entire career at Florida State. Agreed, and I don't like. Think, and I'm not saying he's not talented, or that that wasn't just like a, a bad game, and he could have been dominating the spring. Although that's not something I've heard, um, but he hasn't proven really. Like he hasn't had that game where you're like, okay, like this is what we've, we've been expecting. Agreed. I mean, and yesterday there were some balls that he should have came down with that he didn't. You know, he didn't help. He out. had like, I think him and. Um, Kyle Myers had like seven deep balls thrown at uh, two Gavin in Myers coverage, and I think there was zero completed. Yeah, it sounds it sounds about right. I mean, and, and just you know the the thing that kind of like just adds on to it and and really kind of compounds that issue for for Gavin is the emergence of um, of uh, Tamori and Terry and just how good he looked yesterday. So it's gonna, you know, is it's gonna be interesting to see if Tamori and Terry is really able to pass Gavin up this year and kind of become that number one target in terms of like a big receiving body out there for Florida State. So uh, we'll use that as the transition into our discussion of what the spring game means going into the season and as far as kind of the the rotation of players that will actually play meaningful snaps. So I guess we can start at receiver since uh, I don't know. There's kind of a lot of options that. And for the first time, I think there's not like a core three or three or four guys where you could just say like pencil those guys in. Well, um, I'm gonna let you get to that because I don't, you know, I don't, Florida State's light on receivers this year, so I don't know. I mean, I, I think that I think that to me, um, you know, I, I think after we saw what Tamori and Terry did yesterday, and we know what DJ Matthews is, I think you got you got those guys that you you think you can count on, but you're not entirely you know 100 percent sure yet because yeah you don't really know they haven't done it consistently yet. But but I think that those are going to be two two big time players, and then we'll see. You know, it's going to be interesting to see what Nooney Murray is able to do in this offense. Um, you know, who knows? It was widely rumored before or during last season that he kind of was one of those guys that that really wasn't pushed and motivated by the Jimbo Fisher staff. So it's going to be interesting to see whether, you know, he's, he's more motivated this year and, and what he's able, cause he certainly has all the talent, you know, a lot of talent. So those three guys. And then from there, you kind of got some unicorns, like you said, you know, is Keith Gavin going to be able to turn it on? Is George Campbell going to be healthy? Is Ontario Wilson, someone that can, you know, jump out and make an impact. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see. Um, one more stock up that I meant to say earlier, but I did not. Um, Demarcus Christmas looks like a dominant, dominant defensive lineman, and I know he has been a good player for Florida State for three years now. But he, I think he was kind of in uh, Derek Nottie's shadow a little bit. Plus, um, he, I think he was eating up a lot of double teams in Charles Kelly's defense. Uh, that's just his role uh, in the defense. Whereas I, I believe in Harlan Barnett's system, he will get a lot more one-on-one matchups. And I think you saw that yesterday. 
Um, that and there's a starting center and guard out. Um, but he was in the backfield way too much. Uh, I'm sure he was really getting on O-line coach Greg Frey's nerves yesterday because did you notice that as well, Ethan? He was in the backfield on every single Yeah, he, he was he was dr- in the backfield uh, a lot. Drive. Yeah. Okay, but that that's that. Um, so I agree with your receiver discussion about – I think the four main names are Keith Gavin, Nooney Murray, DJ Matthews, and um, Tamori and Terry. But I don't think you know – out of those guys, I legitimately don't think as far as a production standpoint, you could list them one through four of, of as far as who's going to be most productive to who's going to be least productive. I think you could try to do that, and by the end of the season, it could it'd be the complete reverse just because we really don't understand yet. Uh, nobody has really carved out a definite role. I mean, I think you saw yesterday that Terry will get targets. I mean, he had one touchdown yesterday, um, and it was the one where Hawkman kind of scrambled forward towards the line of scrimmage and just threw it up, and then Hawkman went over and, like, fake revived him or whatever, did CPR yeah. on him. So that was his one touchdown, but he had, like, six others where <laughs> his foot was, like, on the line. Or they called him out of bounds, but he was in. Or that first play, the first drive of the game where he reached the ball out, and I'm pretty sure he was in the end zone, and they called him out at, like, the three-yard line. So while his stats were only one touchdown, I think he still had, like, 130 yards. But I think he could have had a lot more if if uh, just some uh, – I don't want to bring back inches references because of Jimbo Fisher, PTSD, but um, he was like, literally a couple inches away from, like, a 200-yard game. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think, um, you know, you don't really know. Nobody's proven yet in a season. I think the other team, the other thing that, like, contributes to that is you've got a whole new offense coming in and you haven't seen it run in a game, in a game-like setting, so you don't know what exactly – you just don't know. I mean, you can never tell until you see these, you know, see these guys in a game. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree. I just – you don't know exactly who's going to emerge in the receiving core. And and you don't know how good it's going to be. Like you think you have some some players, but but you know you never know. Um, last year, everybody thought Gavin. The the hype before the season for yep. for Gavin was insane. Like you would have thought, you know, Des Bryant or or you know, the, I think those were the comparisons going around. Um, Des Bryant, what was it like? Des Bryant, Terrell Owens, like those yeah. kind of comparisons. I mean, yep. uh, those those comparisons were being. Uh, were being you know thrown around pretty heavily, and then he had a year that was nothing special, albeit in a year that there wasn't much special at all that went over. And he had some injuries, but yeah, when he played, I believe his the highlight of his season was like a twenty-five yard catch against Wake Forest. Yeah, that one on big, like third yeah, and big, nineteen. Yeah, where he like stepped around the guy. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, that's like the biggest about. play of the season was like a twenty-yard catch. Yeah. But um, so real quick, let's just brush up um on the the kind of the depth chart, but just briefly. So quarterback, do you still expect Blackman to start? Obviously, it's a little bit more open now than it was. Honest, honestly, thought, like I have I have no idea. Um, I was about to get to this. You know, we talked about it. Um, Hawkman only had a 50% completion um, percentage yesterday too. He but, was on a hobbled foot for what it's worth. Yeah, but but he made some impressive throws. Um, Definitely. So I don't know. I, I, I think to me, like, I, I wouldn't really be willing to handicap it one way or the other. I think it's pretty... And do you think Francois has any chance after the, the Thursday incident? Um, no, I don't. I, I think he's probably third right now. Um, I think just because of his, his off the field, and I don't think Taggart trusts him at all. Yeah, I think, I think off the field is hurting him. And, you know, I know he's gotten some reps this spring, uh, non-contact reps. 
Um, but I, I just don't think that, you know, he, he hasn't got as many, he hasn't got any contact reps, you know, anything. I, I bet, I don't know if he's been able to run any of like the, you know, the mesh stuff with, with the, the option and stuff like that. If they, if they, you know, trusted his knee enough to let him run that kind of stuff, you know, in a contact setting where he'd obviously be in a non-contact Jersey, but you know, stuff can happen. So, uh, you know, I don't know exactly what, I don't know exactly what to expect, but I, I definitely think that I, I just don't think that Francois is going to be the the choice. Um, you know, there is a chance. I'm not writing him completely off, but I think as of now, he's probably third. All right, so fair to say Blackman, Hawkman, Francois. Yeah, I'd say about that. I'd say I'd All say right. that works, and and then the top pair is close. All right, let's move let's move on and let's go uh, just quickly through this. I would say running back would be Acres one A, Laybourne one B. Group the group of Amir Rasul, Zaquandre White, um, and Jaquez Patrick would be kind of the this this like two the second group which won't get a lot of carries because the one why would you not give them if you have two good backs you're gonna give them all the carries you know it's not like where you have one and you have to give the second group carries you have two good backs is it do you agree with that yeah it's just it's gonna be interesting to see what taggart does with jacques patrick because you know he was such a you, you know he wasn't a super flashy option at all times last year but he had some big games for florida state last year definitely um, an effective option yeah against you know against florida when acres was was having some tough times patrick was really the one who who kind of put the team on his back and had some big time yards after contact in that florida game so it's gonna be interesting to see you know um i think jimbo felt a certain measure of loyalty towards jacques patrick yep. and, which and Patrick, which Willie does not owe him at all. Yeah, and that's the thing. He earned with Jimbo, and, and and you know he wasn't a bad back, but but just with like Laybourne's emergence, I don't I don't think Taggart feels like, um, you know I just don't think Taggart feels like like I don't think he'll feel like he owes Patrick owes anything, anything to Patrick, and I just think Laybourne's too good to to keep him off the field. I think he's too much better than Patrick. Okay. So that's running back, uh, wide receiver. We already discussed tight end. You didn't see much from yesterday. The only thing that you saw out of tight ends was kind of the uh, the uh, RPO style. Uh, it was between a slant and a seam. It's called I'm a pop sure exactly. pass. Yeah, it's I'm not sure what the route pass. is. Yeah, but so that's kind of what you saw to the tight ends. I guess that'll be the role in the offense this year. So um, I think McKitty still stands as one as the the this tight end that'll get the most reps by far. And then I think I guess Pop would be second. Yeah, uh, Nasir Upshur. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what Cameron McDonald um does if he comes in. He's more of a wide receiver or a tight end. And also mm-hmm. um Alexander Marshall, who I believe's hurt this spring, but he yeah. you know he he he's a guy that could be a receiving option. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see. And then offensive line, I don't think we can discuss much of that. Um. I think nothing's changed really there, so I'll leave that alone. Defensive line as well, I don't think anything's changed. I think it'll still be Burns, Kando, Christmas, and um, Marvin Wilson with the like exception being I think Janarius Robinson will get a lot of Burns reps on run running downs. Is that is that fair? Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what kind of what kind of rotate rotating the staff is you know wants to do with the defensive line. Um, I definitely think J-Rob looked much improved yesterday. Yep, um, and then corner, nothing's changed. Uh, the nickel spot is the only kind of question mark. I guess the battle is between Kyle Myers 
uh, newcomers, A.J. Litton and Asante Samuel, will definitely get a shot at that role. Uh, Myers looked good yesterday. He didn't look great last season, but he looked good yesterday. Um, I think that's kind of, I mean, would be, depending on the situation, I think could play a little nickel, although he's not as much of a cover guy as the other guys. Um, and then safety, I think, has largely stayed the same with Fagan, Hamza, and Woodby. Kind of those three are going to be your main guys. Yep, I agree. I agree with all that. All right, so uh, moving out of kind of current player talk, um, let's move into recruiting a little bit because it was a huge recruiting weekend. And uh, whether people like to kind of realize it or not, and I know some of the casual fans don't really realize this, uh, recruiting is ultimately what wins you championships and what wins games on the field because – any coach is only as good as his players, and that goes for everybody. The reason Nick Saban and Urban Meyer are always, um, and Dabo Sweeney now, are always in it in the playoff and in the national championship game um, is because they have the best players, not necessarily because they have the best scheme. Um, although the two kind of go hand in hand. The, the, the coaches with the good schemes get the best players. So um, basically, go ahead and just start. Just recap the recruiting weekend, Ethan, um, and then we'll just discuss each one of the prospects a little bit. Yeah, so Florida State landed three 2019 commits, wide receiver Maurice Goolsby, linebacker Jalil McCray, and offensive lineman Dante Lucas. And then they landed a 2020 commit, um, a linebacker. Um, Keyshawn Green. Keyshawn Green, there you go. He's a, he's a local boy from McCullough, the same high school as Keith Gavin, and uh, Felipe Franks, the quarterback for UF. So, um, you know, it was a good recruiting weekend. Great um, recruiting weekend. Yeah, it, it definitely exceeded our expectations. Um, not mine. Not yours. But the the thing was is, so we talked about Lucas. I think we, I believe we talked about Lucas and Goolsby. Um, I know we talked about Goolsby. If we didn't talk about Lucas, um, most I mean, most honestly, fans follow yeah. recruiting probably kind of understood. Like he was he already was all penciled in, pretty much. Um, I think we did talk about his relationship with Telly Lockett, though. I believe we did. So, anyways. Um, yeah, Goolsby is a flex wide receiver tight end. He's very big and with a hu- has a huge wingspan. I think he's like 6'5", and his wingspan is huge. Uh, he's not like a fast receiver, um, so he kind he's kind of like a tight end receiver mold. Yeah, he's a little um, bit, you know, a, a, as UF fans have pointed out, he's a little bit on, on the slower side. Yeah, kind of like, like an Auden Tate. Tate I'm, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not saying, yeah, exactly. Not that they're the same player, but in the same molds, um, uh, as far as a role of the offense being that they're not going to blow by anybody, but their catch radius is very large and uh, they can high point football as well. So that's that's what you're getting out of Goolsby. Um, so he kind of fills that role. I don't think he necessarily takes up a receiver spot in this class just because he's kind of a, a flex receiver tight end. Um, I don't think that he would limit the staff from taking another receiver, for example. Agreed. Um, so and then you also have Dante Lucas, who I think was the best commit Florida State landed this weekend, um, and one of the best commits on their board. He is a highly, highly touted offensive guard prospect out of IMG Academy. Um, kind of a long time FSU lean, not long time, but uh, since, since Tagger, Tagger since Tagger got there, everybody kind of penciled him into Florida State because um, his family has a relationship with the tight ends coach Telly Lockett. Um, that's kind of. Um, led Dante to have a lot of interest in Florida State. He, I think Ethan referred to, or talked about last week, he refers to FSU as we uh, before he even committed. So now he's in the boat. Um, and then the last commit is Jaleel McCray, uh, outside linebacker prospect. Ethan, you can talk about him a little bit. 
Yeah, he was a actually a one-time Florida commit um, and still was kind of considered a Florida lean. He was offered um, he was offered by Florida State yesterday and committed on the spot, um, which is, you know, that kind of just shows to you the power, uh, the recruiting power that, that Taggart has right now. One of the things you alluded to last, last week on the podcast too, right before the spring game, is you said, we don't really know who the commits will be, but you're sure that you'll get kind of a, a surprise, get there, offer them, and commit, which is, is exactly what happened. Yeah, no, I, I kind of figured, I knew there was going to be a lot of momentum that Florida State had this weekend. Um, you know, you, you had a guy like Sam Howell that had just committed and, and was coming back. Um, you know, while we're talking about recruiting, Sam Howell did come back, and he brought, um, you know, a top five player in the country with him in, in running back Caravius Crouch. Um who we talked about last week as one as, of the I yeah think one of the, the one six of the two two twenty five he's huge um but he's fast too he's not he's not kind of I think FSU fans are like shy of big running back prospects just because Patrick is kind of I don't know Patrick doesn't get enough credit as an FSU uh, player and what he's done so far product production wise but Crouch is more of like a freak athlete I think he's faster and he's like less stiff as a runner um, and which is why he's one of the top prospects in the country. Agreed. Yeah, no, um, which that's a big time. I mean, I mean, if you go look at various services, you know, he's the number, I think on rivals, he's the number one player in the nation. Um, and they also had like, you know, we knew Kayvon Thibodeau, who's the number one player in the nation on 24 seven, um, in town. So there's just a lot of momentum. And, and usually when you get like a big group of guys like that, that has, has some elite prospects in it, um, you know, someone pulls the trigger. It may not be those elite guys, but you know, some other guys, and you know, this isn't, you know, you're ta- we're talking about McRae. He ju- he was just offered by the staff, but he's ranked by the 24/7 Sports Composite as the number 116th player in the nation, and he's a he's a um, the number seven outside linebacker prospect in the nation. So he's not a scrub by any means. You know? No, definitely not. So so you know that's a good kid. He's got offers from Florida. He's got an offer from LSU, um, Georgia. You know that he's got some big time offers. So um, it, it was a very good get from from Taggart and the staff. He's 6'2", 230 pounds. I think he's kind of like a, a little bit um, – I don't even know who, who you'd really compare him to. Kind of like yeah. a Jacob Pugh maybe. A little yeah, bit I'm not shorter sh- Jacob Pugh. I'm not, I'm not sure either. Um, yeah, so, so you have Lucas um, McRae who you just broke down. Huge gets. And then Keyshawn Green is the other player who – um, you just know he's not ranked yet, but you just know that if Taggart and this staff, which knows the, the, the recruiting prowess they have, and it's only going to continue, you would have to think into next year's class as they make these connection or these relationships earlier. Then you, you know when you get here in in uh, December, the 2019 relationships are only a few months old when the recruiting cycle starts. But now you've had a year leg up for 2020, which is what Keyshawn Green is in. Uh, my point is that. If you know if they're taking his commitment this early instead of just offering him and kind of playing the game where they keep the interest but don't necessarily take his commitment yet so they can see how he develops, you know they think very highly of him if they're already re- willing to accept his commitment this early in the cycle. Agreed. Yeah, no, I think that's a, that's that's definitely a very good point. I mean, he's a he's a big kid already, 6'3", 200 pounds as a, you know, a rising Rising junior. junior. So he's only played his sophomore year of high school football, which so. is um, – He's huge, basically. So, uh, so those are four big commitments. Also on the recruiting uh, frontier, which is kind of just as big for Florida State, um, in that they're fighting for the same prospects and have to play each other every year. Is 
Florida didn't get any commits um, on their spring game, and they had a pretty good list of people. Show yeah, they up, had they I had guess, a nice they had a nice visitor list, but didn't. But come nobody up with wanted any, to pull the trigger. Yeah, nobody pulled the trigger. Which is uh, big for FSU, as, meaning that they'll still have shots at all those kids that were just on UF's campus, and none of them are shutting it down, um, at least for now. And then Miami didn't land any commits, I don't believe, and I think they lost at least one, maybe two. They lost two this week. Yeah, two this week, um, two decommitments. So um, what does that mean total? It means that FSU just skyrocketed up the recruiting rankings um, as far as the class size, and that doesn't mean too much in April. But what, what it does mean is that FSU has now nine commits, I believe, and yeah, they have nine commits one four star six or one five star six four stars two three stars um travis J is one of the three stars and me and ethan have i think everybody who's seen this tape has a consensus uh belief that he'll be a four star um at least a, a a low four star if not a high four star um and then you're not exactly sure what's the defensive tackle prospect out of georgia true thompson will will end up being um, Odell and him have a good relationship, so I don't see him leaving this class at all, uh, regardless of the ranking, which isn't the end of the world, but like it isn't the be-all be all and end-all. But the point is, it's not like FSU just took more commits than everybody and they have the second-highest-ranked rank, highest ranked class. All their commits nearly are blue chips, so really yeah, excited. I mean, they're obviously um, – I think who, who Oklahoma has a really nice class going right now. Um, I'm trying to see. Yeah, who's the, who's Oklahoma- the top five? Um, uh, it's Ole Miss who has 12 three stars and four four and three four stars, which is the only reason uh, they're up there is because they've already accepted 15 commitments, um, and they're only marginally ahead of FSU. So uh, as far you can kind of exclude them because the only reason they're that high is because they've taken a lot of commitments. FSU and Oklahoma are more comparable. Uh, Oklahoma has a slightly higher average, one less commit, but no five stars. They both have six four stars. FSU and Oklahoma. Um, both have six four stars. FSU just has the five star to put yeah, them ahead. I just did a quick. I just did a quick scroll through. Um, mm-hmm. To me, it looks like Florida State has the fourth highest average ranking in the country yeah. right now, behind yeah. Alabama. Georgia's first, then Alabama, then Oklahoma, then Florida State. And, and like I said, Travis J is kind of probably dragging that down right now, and it is very early, but he won't be very soon as soon as they update the rankings, in my opinion. Uh, so the top five, just because you asked, is Ole Miss, Florida State, Oklahoma, Georgia, and Miami. But Miami also has ten commits, and eight of them are three stars. So yeah. Whereas FSU has nine commits, and only two of them are three stars. So. Um, Florida State, yeah, Tigers definitely off to a good start. In, in great start, case. great start. Kind of getting a stronghold on the state early, to be honest. Florida's way down at sixteenth behind Duke. You ready for this? Duke and Florida have the same amount of commitments, and Duke has a higher class. They have a higher average. More for more blue chips. How funny is that? Yeah, that that's funny. I mean, yeah, you look like, you know, Michigan and Jim Harbaugh have the same number of commits, and they're, you know, seven spots higher than than Florida. So, yep, definitely, right. definitely, you know, getting Florida is gonna have to have some work to do on the trail if they want to, you know, kind of finish in that top ten. Yep. So now for what kind of we talked about the recruiting, which um is always a topic of interest um, in the offseason. But what we talked about earlier with the spring game and kind of the players that stood out and what that means for the season, now we've seen the last product of Florida State football we're going to see before uh, Labor Day weekend when Virginia Tech comes into town. 
So I, I think it's time to do our post-spring game kind of season predictions. And uh, I'm, ex- I'm excited to see where you stand on kind of the record going into the season. Um, I'll point out the losable games real quick. And I'll let you tell me how many of those you think we lose and ultimately what that means our football record will be in 2018. So the first game that's obviously a losable game is Virginia Tech um, at home. Then you also have Louisville on the road without Lamar Jackson. That's a losable game still. Uh, At Miami, Clemson at home, at NC State, Notre Dame uh, on, on the road. And then, which is a night game already. Um, and then you have uh, Florida at home. So I think that is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven losable games. Um, obviously, the degree of losability, if that's a word, uh, varies greatly within those those get those games. But what is your season prediction, Ethan? Now that we got you on record, go ahead. Um, I think like nine and three is where I'd say comfortable. I'm comfortable going right now. There's just a lot of new new things, new offense, you know, new coaches. Um, there's just a lot of stuff, you know, that that's just kind of it's new. There's a lot of stuff that's got to get used to. There's a lot of a lot of moving parts, uh, and it's just it's not going to be perfect right off the bat. And the schedule this year is one of the toughest in the in the country. So, um, you know, it's going to be it, it's going to be interesting to see. And I think you know. Somewhere between eight and four and ten and two is kind of like the the sweet spot, and then you know seven and five or eleven and one would be you know kind of those those like you know if you're on a bell curve, you're getting close to three standard deviations away from what you're doing. So I think that that's you know you got way too technical, bro. Way too technical. Can't hate, man. Can't hate. No bell curve talk on this podcast. <laughs> but um, I, I just don't. Yeah, I mean. Basic basic thing is I think they're going to be somewhere between eight and four and ten and two depending on you know how things work out get some lucky breaks or don't get some lucky breaks you know here and there um, you know it, I think people people who are out here like ten and two is the floor or whatever don't fully realize all that all that has to that goes into learning a new offensive system you know and also I don't think they have the appreciation for just how good you know you know FSU is going to play a really tough schedule this year I think it's the hardest schedule in the country it's either the hardest or the second hardest behind UCLA um but it's it's kind of ridiculous so I think um you went nine and three I'm gonna go eight and four uh, I'm usually like the optimist but I just think there's too too many kind of tough games they do go on a stretch of at Louisville at Miami Home against Wake Forest, which should be a, an easy W. But then Clemson, NC State, Notre Dame, and then one game off uh, against Boston College, which they got killed by which, last year. Yeah, so it's I not even, even say really game a game off. off. But, and then you have Florida. So that, um, I guess, eight-game stretch where you have six losable games, I just think um, – I kind of think if, if they beat Virginia Tech, I'll say nine and three. But if they, if they don't beat Virginia Tech, I, I would say eight and four. Uh, I just don't think you can go through that that eight game stretch without losing at least two, so um, probably three. But I'll say eight and four. I think Taggart and his staff are going to do a really good job recruiting uh, this whole season, and I think twenty twenty will be a lot better season for Florida State. You'll have Acres and uh, Laybourne both in their money years. You'll have still the same quarterback with another year of growth. You won't lose much on defense. Um, I just think that the the 2019 season will be a lot 
better suited for maybe a ACC championship run or a, a playoff run. But I think this year eight and four is probably the most probable record with nine and three coming second, just in my opinion. Yeah, I'm uh, pretty much I'm pretty much in with you. Uh, like I, I just said. don't like I just don't think that like the unfair expectations of Taggart with a quarterback that went six and six last year against a much easier schedule than this year. Not much, but an easier schedule than this year. Um, so that's where I stand, eight and four. It might change. You never know if we come out and really dominate on defense against Virginia Tech or. The offense looks a lot less sloppy than it did in that spring game. Um, then maybe my opinion will change, and I'm sure it will um, as we move forward. But for now, that's where I stand. Yeah, no, I agree. I said yesterday. I think I think I'll go nine and three. But I also th- I said yesterday um, in a conversation I was having that I think eight and four is more likely than ten and two. Um, I just I, I think there's too many moving parts and, and and just a whole lot of new stuff going on. And I don't think, you know, I, I don't think, I think Florida State fans are going to have to be mindful of all that and kind of realize, um, you know, that th- this is kind of a buffer year and you can't really draw any conclusions on a new coach um, until their second year. And, and then when you do get to their second year, like, yes, you can start learning and making judgments a- about a coach because most coaches, you know, there are only four active coaches who have won a national championship, but most of them, um, you know, they, they win or at least reach a national championship within the first three years that they're at a new school. The only except I believe the only exception to that rule is um, is Debo Sweeney. I think he's the only exception to that rule. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's going to be you, you really do have to start, you know, looking at a coach very, very, very seriously in their second year after they've got their first class. And, and I think especially that that's fair with Taggart to, to really say, okay, this year you got time to figure things out, but your second year, cause they're still a very talented roster. Oh, so, definitely. You know, I, I think that's, that's what, what the fair outlook for me is. Um, final note. Um, I think Asante Samuel coming in, will push for the nickel job. So don't be surprised when you hear that in summer. That's my last, uh, last thing I'm going to say. Alrighty. All right. So until next time, next podcast will probably just be about summer recruiting um, and where FSU stands, kind of maybe a, another board we'll do as the the uh, board and the top top prospects in each position get kind of more similar or more uh, like make themselves more apparent as far as offers go out and visits occur. So uh, we'll talk then. Yes, sir. Sounds good.